is everybody today? We are so glad that you guys are here tuning in to hear Liza Borches. We are super excited to have her on. She is a powerhouse in automotive, the CEO of CMA Valley that has 23 stores in their group. So we are super excited to have her today. I will go ahead and bring her on board right now. Hi. Hey. Hello. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Oh my gosh. We are so excited. So excited. I I was beyond thrilled to be able to tell Shasta that we were able to get you on the show. Yes. Well, Shasta, I have to say, I love your name. The, when I first saw it online and I was like saying it out loud, it, you cannot say your name without high energy. Like it just, <laughs> it's just forced with your name. And I love it. She is high energy most of <laughs> the time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it fits her personality. I'm a little perfectly. whirlwind. Yes, she is. Liza, if you don't mind, give our audience a quick, um, you know, tell them about you, where you started, where you're at now. Sure. Um, I am currently leading our company, which is Carter Myers Automotive. You mentioned CMA Valley. That's actually one of our markets. We have five stores in, in the Valley market. We have uh, a total of seven markets in our group, each that have uh, up to five stores per market. So we are going to be 100 years old next year. Whoa, our wow. started in 1924 with a Ford store. Uh, we now have 23 rooftops. We represent 18 brands um, across, as I said, seven markets. We're in Virginia and West Virginia. And then we're opening a new Honda Point in Maryland next year. Wow. That's awesome. So that's a little bit about us. Um, I mentioned I'm the fourth generation and have the honor and privilege of following my father and his uh, father and grandfather and being able to lead our company into our 100th year next year. That's amazing. That is amazing. I, that, but that I, will, amazing. I have to tell you real quick. Everyone's like, well, what are you guys going to do for your 100th year? Like the last thing I want to do is focus on the last 100 years. So mm -hmm. it's going to all be focused on everything that has happened in our company over the last hundred years that is going to propel us forward for the next 100. It has to be future focused. You know, history is great, but it's only great in what we've learned from it. Absolutely. Exactly. That's a great idea. I love that so much. Congratulations. Like that's a huge milestone. Yeah. You don't, you don't get to see that a lot in this industry nowadays. Like there's mm -hmm. not a lot of companies around in the automotive world that have lasted that long. Yeah, there are definitely a, a solid handful, but one of the cool things, and I'll throw this in since we're uh, ch uh, chicks in charge, we love women in automotive. We think that we were the first ever female-owned automobile dealership or group back in the late 1920s. My great, great aunt, her name was Elizabeth Myers, which was my name before I got married. Um, she was selling Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance in New York City. And she was the only member of our family who had enough cash when the depression hit to be able to invest in our company and keep it alive through the depression and into World War II. So wow. we, we can't find anything to conflict with this. We're 99% sure that we were the first female-owned uh, dealership back in the late 1920s. Wow. That is amazing. That's, that's so cool. That's phenomenal. I don't, I mean, having a, a female owned dealership back then is really unheard of. So I'm, I'm really willing to bet that that's true. Well, and we, we were told that, uh, that nobody ever told Henry Ford because Henry Ford did not appreciate women. He didn't even have female secretaries and he probably would have shut us down if he had known that the company was owned by a female back then. So apparently my grand, my great grandfather kept it very quiet. Um, but she was pretty awesome. We talk about strong female leaders. Uh, we found a picture of her and my dad couldn't figure out why she had a passport 
back in the late 1920s. And she actually went over to Europe and drove an ambulance in both World War I and World War II. That didn't happen back then either. So we think she was a symbol of strength that kind of kickstarted our company and influenced my great grandfather to uh, be able to get this company through probably one of the hardest times in our country, right? Back then. That's, That's wild. amazing. You rarely see, it's sad to say, you rarely see that kind of work ethic nowadays mm-hmm. or that, that level of drive and um, determination in people anymore. Right. That is really awesome. And it also really tells a story about why you are so involved with um, empowering women in the automotive industry as well and why you're so passionate about that. That is really, that's really cool. That's awesome. So, so I know that something that you're really big on in your dealership is cultivating culture. Tell us a little bit about how you keep that culture high in the store, especially when you have 23 stores. It has to all start with a really strong foundation. And uh, of course, when you're on a podcast, I'm sorry, there's a big horn behind me, car alarm going off. Um, it has to start with a strong foundation. It has to start from the top, but it can't live at the top. It has to live within every level within our company and across all stores. And so when we're looking for new leaders or even for new associates to join our company, we make sure that when we're recruiting and hiring, that we're asking the right questions to find people who are going to align with our core values, who are going to be culture fits as much as having the skill sets that we're looking for. And that's easy to say. We probably all say that that's what we do. Um, but we, we have a, a woman who's in charge of recruiting, a talent acquisition specialist, Beth, and you will not find a stronger culture champion and warrior and ambassador of a company than Beth is for us. So that first touch when we're bringing people into our company is with somebody who lives and breathes the culture of CMA. So uh, Beth is a great asset. Um, We also have a lot of longevity across the leaders, both in our dealerships and on our CMA support team. So if you can have less turnover, obviously you're going to have people who are more aligned longer with your company. If you've got a lot of new leaders coming in, it takes time for them to really get to know the culture that you want to have live in your dealership. So I do think longevity plays a piece of it as well. So when you when you're looking to hire um, entry level team members, do you look for people with experience or do you look for people who are fresh to the industry that you can train from brand new? Um, we definitely are looking for people fresh to the industry, which is why we need so many of the people you all are talking to every day to be sharing the stories of automotive because we are not on the. Uh, awareness of most people looking for new career paths. We've got to make sure that people know the incredible opportunities in automotive. And the more of us that are sharing our stories, the more people's radar that we're going to get on, right? Uh, So, you know, we'll talk about a couple specific areas. Um, On the sales side, uh, I would say probably 90% of the sales associates that we are hiring or not from automotive, looking for customer experience, representatives, hospitality. I think that's pretty common in our industry that those be the industries that we're looking to bring from. But also on the technician side, I mentioned Beth Lucchese earlier, um, about 75% of her job is out there. She is in um, high schools, technical schools, community colleges, sharing the CMA story, not putting job postings up, not out there just um, trying to interview people. She is sharing our story, 
She's got career path outlines that she's sharing with people. She's hosting not only student uh, shadow days, but parent nights in our dealership so that parents of high schoolers can help influence them by understanding the great career paths that they can have in automotive. Um, but sharing our stories is the most important thing that we can do because we, we typically are not looking for people from automotive. We love people in automotive and everybody who is on here today are rock stars, but we all know that we need some new ideas, new energy, and more people interested in our industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that something that you're really passionate about is investing in your humans at the store level and helping them propel their lives forward. What are some ways that you and your leadership team do that inside the store? We do a lot of, I'm not even going to just call it training, a lot of development. Um, I listen to our general managers about everything. They give me input on everything we do at CMA. The only time I don't listen to them is when they say, Liza, we're doing too much training. I don't have enough coverage. I can't send this person or we can't get on this Zoom. And I say, listen, figure it out. If we are not spending time helping our teams grow, they will leave. Yeah. It's human nature to want to be better than you were yesterday and to have something new in your brain. So a couple of things. One, we have three critical actions that we share with our company uh, that we expect them to do every day. And one of them is to invest in themselves personally and professionally for at least 10 minutes. That sounds like nothing, right? At least 10 minutes a day, every single associate, whether they jump on a Zoom training with us, whether they go into our CMA Academy and listen to uh, one of the old trainings, whether they listen to a podcast like yours um, on their way into work to hear what's happening in automotive. Um, maybe they're reading a couple of pages at night, a self-development book. We do have a lending library where they can check out books on all different subjects. Um, we might encourage them at lunchtime to go do a webinar or some sort of uh, online training where they understood that maybe they missed something with a customer earlier that day. So we have significant number of training opportunities for our team, and we ask them to do something, a little something every single day. So that's one of the keys. Um, we do uh, a training the first Wednesday of every month where every single associate in the company is invited to come on live. And it's on Zoom because we're in seven markets and 23 rooftops. And um, you know we'll have hundreds of our associates on there live, and then they can watch the recording if they're not in a position like a service advisor's desk where they could be on with us live. But we do, um, and that training every month has nothing to do with selling and servicing a car. It is all about topics of uh, creating stronger teams. It's about time management. It's about motivation. It's about mindset. We will often uh, suggest a podcast or a book that will go with that month's topic that they could be reading and, and being a part of throughout the month. Uh, so it is, there are more opportunities than they probably even want to be able to invest in themselves. And we look, you know, going back to the recruiting side, we look for people, even in their interview, are they curious? Are they showing us with their history that they are a lifelong learner? Have they taken opportunities in their past positions to learn something new, to take a class, to better themselves? We want people who are curious and who want to learn alongside with us. Right. That's awesome. Well, and even even with us, like with our team, we look for that as well. And we mm -hmm. go through uh, reading things with our leadership teams. Well, we do book clubs. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's um, you see people develop so quickly and get to see them use those things in everyday life. And it's kind of just the greatest feeling and feeling in the world. I imagine. I'm, wow. I imagine it's how teachers feel. Yeah. When they get to see a student use something that they've taught them. Yep. Probably. Yeah. yeah. 
And what's really cool is when you see someone from the accounting office, someone from reconditioning, a sales associate, a parts manager, um, when you see people from all of these different departments learning together, that doesn't always happen in dealerships. And it's something we're really working to cultivate um, because so often the training is either a sales oriented training or it's for service. And rarely do we do anything for our technicians, for accounting, for reconditioning and parts, right? It's skill set. It's do your job. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's something that as we've heard people coming from outside our industry or from other dealer groups, those are departments that have not typically been invited or involved in any sort of development or training. Well, and the greatest thing that I think about it um, is that it's bringing from bringing everybody in the store together and you won't have any division between departments. A lot of times we'll hear of, um, you know, angst between departments. I think we hear it the most because of who we are, but, um, you know, sales and BDC constantly fighting or um, uh, sales and service sometimes, depending on, you know, how quickly they're, they're getting things through service to get on the lot for sales, just depending on what it is. But bringing them all together helps give a level of understanding even. I'll tell you one of the best things that we just did the last two months, we've been um, training our whole team on working genius. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Patrick Mm -hmm. Lucioni's book, the six types of working genius. And so I think that that has been incredibly beneficial to understand how people come at different problems from different perspectives and how important each part of that six uh, step process is in resolving problems. And I'll tell you something funny. Most of our general managers were DTs, discernment and tenacity. They are get it done, A-type personalities. Let's act now. I want it done. Mm -hmm. And what I saw in our company was at the leadership level, we severely lacked in wonder and invention. And so we all just were like, here's the problem. Here's one solution. Let's get it done and move on. And we weren't giving ourselves the space to say, are we actually tackling the most important problems? Are we taking time to find the right solution and not just grabbing a solution? And I found that maybe we've been relying too much on our vendor partners to bring us solutions versus taking the time within our own leadership team to asking important questions, getting the right inputs, and then figuring out who are the vendor partners that we need to help us solve the problem. We just need them to tell us what we needed to solve the problem. So it's been enlightening the last couple of months as we've been really diving into that work. That's, that brings up a really good, good point too. I, um, you know, I think that a lot of dealers really do depend heavily on, um, on vendors to just, you know, make or break their success or, um, you know, we see it a lot in, in what we do, like the, you know, because we're an outsourced BDC, like we're solely responsible for, the success or failure of the internet leads. Right. And that's, that's a lot of pressure. Like, don't forget, we're just getting them there for the sales team. Like your sales team is still responsible. Uh, the name of the book was working genius, correct? You said Patrick- working genius by Patrick Lencioni. Mm-hmm. Um, Shasta, let me, let's dive into that for a moment, because this is something that we've been working on deeply this past year. And that is what is a successful vendor partner relationship? Mm -hmm. and how important it is that it is a two-way relationship. And before we enter into a relationship, we both understand what our role is, what our responsibilities are, and what success looks like. Right. Um, Just yesterday, I was down at our Lynchburg stores, and one of our general managers wanted to switch uh, vendor partners for a particular part of what we do, and I won't mention any names. And so we had asked him to, uh, we have 
Kyle Mountsier helped us with a, a nine question evaluation that we use both to evaluate current vendor partners and any ones that we might uh, either be terminating or adding. And our general manager, uh, Russ Tabone down in Lynchburg did a phenomenal job. He actually put together a whole presentation for us that answered these questions and he had the vendor partner in the room and we were able to put up together um, what does this marriage look like? And what is each of our role and responsibility to making sure that this is successful? And I know that if we do that across the board, it's not only going to be better for our vendor partners, like what, what you're talking about, but it makes sure that our team understands what their responsibility is, that it's not your responsibility to make sure our leads are worked. It's our responsibility to work together because we're both impacted if the results aren't what we're looking for. Absolutely. Right. And it reminds me of that that clubhouse room that, that you and David Long had hosted a couple of yeah. weeks back that just lit so many fires, you know, the the fire your vendors because um, it, I was a little scared to go in that room after the way he posted it and people like <laughs> were chiming. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah, but it was a good conversation. You know, if yeah. if the dealer is going to look at at a vendor just like a vendor, you don't need to have them. Mm -hmm. If the vendor is going to act like just a vendor, you don't need and them. not a partner. You don't need to be one. Right. You, know, you don't need to be in that relationship. You it, have to be able to work as a team. Yeah, it's a partnership. It, it It is a give and take on both sides. It is not a set it and forget it any percentage of the time. Right. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And I think that as a vendor, you have to have communication. I feel like I've heard a lot just this week alone of vendors not communicating appropriately with the dealers. Mm -hmm. And although dealers lack in that as well, um, yes. communication isn't great until things are um, to a point where they want to cancel or, mm -hmm. you know, there's no communication up until that point. Um, vendors have to remember that they're not there every single day. So if they are not communicating, they're, they're irrelevant. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. <laughs> I heard you on speaking of Kyle. Um, I heard you on the Asotu podcast back in February and you said, I am not a car girl. Tell us, how on earth can you be the CEO of 23 stores and not be a car girl? Well, it, and you all were joking about this before. The tagline or the, the I don't know what they call it, a so do, but love people more than you love cars. I love this business because of the people side. I'm very boring when it comes to the car side. Our whole team knows not to ask me about product knowledge because I will not... Um, have the answers, nor do I have the passion about passion about that. Thankfully, we do have people on our team that are passionate about cars. Um, I make sure that we get all the right people on the team that have that knowledge, right, and that have that passion. Uh, but for me, I think the reason I originally wasn't thinking I would ever come into the family business was I thought you had to be passionate about cars to be in this industry. Mm -hmm. But it is all about the people. Yeah, you know, we, I, I could be leading a company that had a completely different focus. Um, but what I do love about cars is that cars are a really important part of people's lives yes. mm -hmm. and they count on them. They count on transportation to get them where they want to go in life, whether it be getting their kids to school or to church or to the soccer field or to visit grandparents, mm -hmm. whether it be to get to work, to put food on the table for your family, whether it be to travel the world, whatever transportation gets people where they want to go in life. So that part of cars, I love. I love that we're in a meaningful industry that it's not going to look the same 10 and 20 years from now, but people are still going to need transportation. We might be selling and leasing flying cars. It might be a subscription service. It might be something we can't envision yet. We don't know. 
but people are still going to have to get where they're going in life and it's going to have some version of transportation tied to it. So it, it's really um, fulfilling to be in an industry that impacts so many people's lives. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that is important as we're talking about, you know, trying to get the younger generation to want to be a part of the automotive industry, that they know that they don't have to be a car fanatic in order to fit in here, in order to make a difference in within our industry. I think the technology that's changing, I mean, just on the electric vehicle side, and I think there's going to be other alternative fuel options and new technologies coming out. I think there's a, a huge opportunity to attract the next generation because transportation is evolving so much. I mean, we, we hear a lot about young people kind of obsessed with Tesla and electric vehicles and the technologies that are coming out. I think it's a great opportunity for us to bring people in this industry that wouldn't have considered it a generation before. So we need to really um, utilize this, this evolution of where our product is going to get some excitement in, our, in my kids and, and their generation uh, around our industry. Mm-hmm. I love that. Speaking of Robin, my assessment was I galvanizer and enabler. And I hated that word enabler until I really studied working genius and understood what it meant. Now I'm very proud of it. But both of my working geniuses were completely focused on people. That's funny. We didn't we didn't get to read the book or anything. Um, somebody actually had sent us the quiz and told us to just take it. So we have like mm -hmm. hardly any knowledge of the, the backside of it. But we all did take the quiz. I can't remember. Exactly. I don't I'd have to look mine there. up and see what mine was. But um, well, I'm going to send you some more information on it then after we. Yeah, finish. you should. That would be awesome. It'll help you understand it a lot better. Yes, I would love that. So I know, Liza, you have two children. Is that right? I do. Girls a senior, oh, a, a boy who's a senior in high school and a girl who's a freshman. So they're 18 and 14. Do you think that they will be getting into the automotive industry? You know, I don't know. And certainly we have put no, you know, zero pressure on them. My 18-year-old my, uh, is applying to engineering schools at the different colleges he's looking at. That could go automotive or it may not. He's super into science and math. And right now it doesn't look like a clear path to automotive. But um, he also has enjoyed when he's worked in the dealership at times, you know, during the summer. And he asks me a lot of questions about what I do, not on the car side, more on the leadership and um, strategy side. So I do see a lot of interest in him from that perspective. My daughter, I mean, any of you who have 14-year-old girls would know that, I mean, who knows? I have no idea what's going on in her head. I... I, I have no idea. <laughs> Funny. I have I have an 11-year-old uh, girl and a 12-year-old boy. And um, even with how close they are in age, I could not, they could not be any further apart. And I still have no idea what is going on in either of their heads. So I'm right there with you. I'm not there. Years, There's no preparation for teenage years, especially with girls. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have three girls and I'm not looking forward to those teenage years. I have all girls. Good luck. I know. I know that it'll, it'll be fun. But, you know, I, my my nine year old is so interested in what we do and she's always telling me and she doesn't know the exact definition of what I do in my job or anything like that. So she just tells everybody, yeah, my mom works with cars all the time. And so she, she doesn't have a full understanding. But if you ask her, she'll be the next person to work here, too. I love it. She's excited. I love it. I know. And I jokingly say, you know, teenage girls, I know that they will come through it and they're our best friends and allies. There just might be a few rough years, which we are definitely in in my household. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I went through a few of those rough years myself. So <laughs> whenever I was that age. So I guess, yeah. I, it, yeah, we all did. I just, I Liza, 
what do you think that your game changer was in your career? Well, there's a lot of ways you can define game changer. Do you mean the game changer for me personally as to why I made the decisions and to where I am now? Yes. Um, so there was a moment and I, it, it was very clear to me. I've shared this story before, uh, when I was working on the OEM side, I was working for American Honda Motor Company. Uh, I had traveled from starting in Torrance. And at this point I was up in Baltimore, Maryland is where we were living. And I was calling on Honda dealers and, um, loved Honda. I thought I was going to be the first female CEO of American Honda Motor Company, even though there had never been one that wasn't uh, Japanese and there certainly had never been a female. Uh, but that was my aspiration. And I had a moment where I spent three days with a dealer group up in Maryland. They were doing a leadership development uh, training for three days with all of their general managers. And I just, it, I was in my, I guess, mid, just past my mid twenties. And it was the first time I had really been exposed to leadership development. And I sat in this room with all these GMs who left after three days with plans on how they were going to be pouring into their team and how they were going to get back to their communities and how they were going to be setting records. And there was so much excitement and energy in this room. And you could just feel the lives that were going to change because of these GMs and what they had learned and how passionate they were to go back to their stores. And I was driving back to my home office by myself to go pull reports to send out to these dealers about the numbers of cars they've sold. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is not a knock on people who do that job very well. But when we go back to what my working geniuses are, that was not inspiring to me. And it was not giving, it was not fulfilling me and giving me energy. And my dad had actually never talked to me about coming into the family business. It had never been a topic of discussion. Wow. And so I called my husband first. Uh, we were engaged at the time. I was like, I, I think I can do more than this. I want to do more than this. And, and he was very supportive. And so I, I called my dad. My dad had three dealerships at the time in Virginia. And I said, Dad, I would love to come talk to you and explore what it would look like to, to come uh, on the retail side of the, of the industry. Um, I really didn't want to come back and just be the dealer's daughter. And that was, I'd seen that fail on all of the hockey dealerships. Not fail. I just had seen challenges with it. And that's not who I wanted to be. So my dad said, there's a little Volvo dealership here in town and the gentleman's ready to retire. I think he's looking to sell. Why don't you go talk to him? So I was 28 years old, I think, 27, 28. And I went and met with this gentleman in the in a back booth of McDonald's. And we ended up after two meetings of McDonald's drinking black coffee, which I don't drink coffee, but I did for him, pretend for him. We worked out a deal on a napkin for me to buy the Volvo store. And wow. so our building company was going to invest 80%. I was going to invest 20%. And my dad was, I, I could not have asked for a better opportunity. My dad said, just go figure it out. So I, I had never worked full time in the dealership, only summers and holidays. There were 13 em employees. I went in, I can remember I was 28 years old, introducing myself as the owner said, I'm selling the store to this young lady. I was the youngest person in the room, except for two technicians. And they're all staring at me like, oh my gosh, what is about to happen? And I didn't know anything about running a store, except that I had observed a lot of Honda dealers running stores, right? As I was out calling them, calling on them, I saw successes. I saw things that didn't work well. And all I did was get to know my team. I spent every moment, the first 90 days, one-on-ones and calling customers. I called every service customer the day after uh, they came in for service, asking them how their experience was, what I could learn from them, how we could do better. And so it was such a small store that I got to learn everything. I was the GM, the sales manager, the used car manager, the finance manager. 
I didn't have a good service manager. I, I was a service manager. I drove the shuttle a lot. I mean, I just, so that's how I learned. And, uh, but the moment for me was that day driving back in my car after going to this um, training of another dealer group and saying, I want to do what they do. That's awesome. It's a very long answer to your short question. No, but I think that, I think that that kind of goes into the next thing that I was going to say is that's also kind of what led you to going back on your word of what you had told your husband so many years prior that you were never going to move home. You were never going to be a part of the family business. Right. And then there you were. Right. That's so awesome. Yeah. And we wouldn't have it any other way, but I don't think that I could have envisioned 20 years ago, how different our industry would look, our company would look, our family would look. Um, but if I could have scripted it, I certainly would have taken it to where we are today. So now the goal is how do we script to the future and, uh, and continue this evolution? Wow. I was going to ask about that. Is the, is the plan, I mean, you've, you've already taken it from three to 23, mm -hmm. you know, how, how big are you wanting to go? Um, you know, a lot of people ask that question. I don't think it's about how big do we want to be? It's how do we make sure that we're growing in a way that is relevant uh, keeps our company relevant in the eyes of our manufacturers, our customers, our communities, offers the right career paths to our associates so that when we have people ready to grow and own, have ownership in their own store, that we have opportunities for them. Um, we don't want to grow just for growth's sake. Right. And honestly, we're in an environment right now where I was just meeting with my CFO and COO, and we're going to be creating our next three-year strategic plan over the next four months and getting input from our general managers and executive managers, all of our key team leaders from training to accounting to marketing, uh, real estate, IT, um, our, a lot of our vendor partners we're going to be including in this process to make sure that we can really uh, create a plan that doesn't mean you have to stick to a plan day by day, but that you have the right vision for what growth needs to look like so that we can have a guideline to make smart decisions over the next couple of years. There's been so much acquisition opportunity, more that we've said no to than yes to. Um, we've always had a, a good clarity around what we're looking for. Dealer groups that are culturally aligned with us in the size markets that we think our culture and uh, foundation can be super successful in, which is more of a medium-sized market. Mm -hmm. We're not looking to go into the Washington, D.C. metro or a market such as that because we like to be in communities where people and relationships matter. And for us, that's the medium-sized community, big enough to support a good-sized dealership, but small enough that we have relationships. Right. Perfect. So that's our that's our plan. Uh, we're gonna we're working on the next couple of years of development right now, and I want to have as many voices in that as possible. In fact, some of the dealers who are watching this right now, I might be calling you to um, get some of your input because I want I want to hear uh, from a lot of diverse minds so that we yeah, can make absolutely. great decisions. Um, is your leadership team a part of EOS? Of what? Of EOS. It's interesting that you ask. We do use that model uh, to lay out our three-year, our one-year, our quarterly rocks. Um, so yes, we do use that model. And uh, most of our leadership team has read Traction. We've uh, read a couple of the other books that take it further down on the team. And my COO and I were really it made us realize that we were overlapping duties between visionary and um, and taking action. And so it's helped us make sure that we're defining our roles a little bit better to best serve the company. 
I love that. I love that. EOS has helped us so much. We um, we implemented it um, amazingly right before COVID. Yeah. Um, I think just a few Three short months before before COVID happened, and um, you know, it carried us through. It helped us gather a plan through it, mm -hmm. and I swear I don't know where we would be without it. Just no, I think I'm in front of me. Right, it's sitting on my desk right over there. I could show you our yep. our one pager. Yes, I, I, love I definitely think that EOS helped us stay afloat during COVID for sure. Mm -hmm. Liza, what piece of advice would you give not only just the younger women that are wanting to get into the automotive industry, but anybody for that matter? I think having a career where you understand your purpose and that you feel you're having impact is certainly what I think everyone's looking for, but in particular, the next generation. And if we can help share stories so that the next generation understands the, the fingerprints that they can leave on this world and, and, and people around them in communities by coming into the auto industry, we can attract exponentially more people to the auto industry. So everybody who's watching, the more we share our story, not how many cars we sold today, but how many lives did we move forward? by creating relationships, asking good questions, finding what the transportation needs are, whether it be buying, leasing, or servicing and keeping a vehicle on the road. Um, when we can help the next generation see that they can have a lasting legacy in our industry better than almost any other industry out there, that's what we need to do. So my advice would be to the next generation, find an industry where you can make an impact on people's lives. You'll wake up fulfilled in the morning, and the auto industry is certainly the best place to do it. Exactly. Which uh, which conferences will you be at through the remainder of this year? That's a great question. There are so many wonderful conferences. I have to say, I wish I could go to 10 more than I actually am. <laughs> we have a ton of OEM meetings during the month of September, which sometimes takes me away from conferences that I want to be there for. Um, I will be at a SODU uh, at the end of September. Um, I think I leave straight from there to go to a Honda meeting uh, in Chicago in October, that's another OEM meeting. And then I'm going to 800% Club, uh, their October meeting. We've got a couple people going to uh, Business Bourbon and Cigars, I think, which is mid-September. Um, in November, I'll be going up to S&P Mobility, their uh, S&P Global, their Mobility Council Conference um, in New York. And I know that takes me through November 8th. I can't think of my calendar beyond that at the moment. Oh, Robin. So asked. Jess says, what, Jess will forget to ask. And I want to know, I know you are a runner. What are your favorite running shoes? She did ask me to ask her like two or three days ago. Robin, I run in uh, Brooks running shoes. Mm. I have no idea beyond just the make because I've been running in the same ones. And I have a great relationship with our local running store. And I just go in and they give me my shoes. In fact, they're delivering some to my house today because, and I shouldn't even say this out loud because it may not happen. I think I'm going to run the Chicago Marathon on October 8th. Ooh. And I need to get a new pair of shoes right now in order for them to be broken in enough for the marathon. Yep. But I, I'm still not 100% committed. I'm training for it. I think I'm going to make it happen, but we got a lot of moving parts in our family schedule right now. But I'm up to 19 miles and I'll be prepared for it whether I run it or not. <laughs> awesome. To do everything you do and I train know. for a marathon. Oh my gosh. I'm excited. I, it, it's my mental time when I'm out running. Um, but the logistics of getting to Chicago and running and getting back and having, we have an event that Friday night for an EV event here locally that I need to be there for. And then my son has a college visit on Monday. 
right after it. And so I'm just trying to figure out if I can like fit it all in. Yeah, <laughs> you might actually be superwoman. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I'm hoping that I will, yeah, I've never, I've only run New York City Marathon, so Chicago would be great. So if anyone's listening and you're running Chicago or you're going to be in Chicago, let me know. It might incentivize me to figure out how to get there. There you go. Liza, where can people reach you at? I would love for uh, all of you to connect with me. They can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all under Liza Myers Borshus. I'm very easy to find. Or Clubhouse, uh, although I really only go to the all things used cars um, on Fridays, all things fixed stops on Mondays. And I do watch Glenn Lundy at 5.30 a.m., but usually on Facebook, not on Clubhouse. Yeah. So they can find me everywhere. And I would love to connect with more yeah. rock stars in our industry. Well, Liza, we appreciate you coming on the show so much. It has been a pleasure to have you here. You are truly an inspiration and an amazing leader. And we are so excited that you are a part of this amazing industry for the ladies like Shasta and I to look up to as we grow and learn and evolve ourselves. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, in a world where you can be anything, remember to be kind. So when you go out into the world this week, remember to light it up. I'm Jess. I'm Shasta. And this is... Liza, and we have been the Chicks in Charge. And I hope they all come join your Facebook group. Yes, yes. Chicks in the Carpus. <laughs>